0: I give the clients the option and I ultimately let them decide. And it's the way we present the options. We want to make sure we're doing it non-judgmentally and empathetically and say, you know, in this situation, we know that funds are limited and here are the options.
1: Welcome to the Sawyer Your Vet Now What? The podcast. This is a show that serves as your audio mentor in your journey as a veterinarian and each week... Our awesome host, Dr. Mariah McCauley, will be bringing you insightful, short-form interviews with happy, successful vets who are eager to share their career and clinical tips to make your life easier. So whether you're a final year vet student or a recent graduate, this podcast is your trusted companion on the pathway to success in veterinary medicine. Over to you, Mo.
2: Welcome back to So You are a Vet, Now What?, I'm your host, Dr. Mariah McCauley. Vet School has been called the ivory tower for its gold standard recommendations for diagnosis and treatment of our veterinary patients. Though once you get into practice, you will find that you likely can't provide gold standard to all of your patients all the time. And that's okay. Today, I am joined again by Dr. Kate Boatwright as we talk about spectrum of care. We talk about some of the barriers to providing gold standard care and how you can modify your practices to work within these barriers. This is such an important and wide topic that we could not fit it into one episode. So you'll just have to stay tuned for the future. But until then, let's dive into it. All right, welcome back, you guys, and welcome back, Dr. Kate Boatwright. Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mariah. It's great to be here. It's great to have you back. And so, you guys, if you haven't heard our previous episode, Kate is a phenomenal human. She is a veterinarian, she is a speaker, she is an author. She's just put out an absolutely amazing veterinary mentorship manual for veterinary hospitals who are trying to put together an awesome mentorship program. So go and check that out. Information will be in the show notes. But today, Kay, I really want to talk about spectrum of care, which I'm going to give you a little bit of time to tell us what spectrum of care is. But before we do that, like if I'm your mentee and I'm coming to you, I've just had this case where this dog is really sick. It needs more of a workup. I'm trying to do what vet school has taught me to do with gold standard care. Financially, we just can't do that. So if I'm coming to you and I'm asking like, what do I do when I can't do gold standard? That's what we're going to look at today. So I've come to you with that question. And first things first, you're going to tell us about spectrum of care. So I'll take it away.
0: Yeah, so for anyone who, you know, doesn't know me, uh, my two passions are mentorship and spectrum of care. So, you know, I will try to keep this brief so that uh, we don't spend <laughs> the whole time just explaining what it is. But spectrum of care is the concept that when we are looking at how to manage our cases, there is a range of options. And on one end we have that traditional gold standard, often our most intensive, expensive, invasive procedures and testing treatments. And then on the other end, we have maybe benign neglect or symptomatic care. Sometimes it's economic euthanasia, but there's all kinds of much less invasive, less expensive, extensive options, but there's a huge range in the middle as well. And our goal as veterinarians is to provide the options to our clients and then work with them to figure out, okay, what are their limitations? What are their goals? And what is the best plan for them and their pet? So we're meeting clients at their limitations and finding a way to work together. I get sometimes the question of like, well, isn't that just what we do? Isn't that just medicine? Why do we need a fancy word for it? And yes, it is what we do, but it's unfortunately not how many of our students are taught. A lot of students have, you know, mostly are exposed to that gold standard, to specialty medicine, and they're not getting as much of that spectrum options. And so you can feel really uncomfortable coming out as a new grad and saying, okay, I have this dog that's been vomiting for three days and it's losing weight and the owners have $150. I can't run a CBC, UA x-rays. I'd love to, but I can't. So, you know, how do we work with that?
2: That's like the perfect case to kind of go off of. So yeah, I have this dog. It's been vomiting for three <laughs> days. Basically, the clients have come to me and even before I even asked them, they're like, I only have $150. And right off the bat, you're thinking, well, my exam charge is 70. So we are left with not a lot. So we're trying to figure out essentially like, like, what do I do? I've come to you and I'm like, my brain is just racing because I know we need to do x-rays. We need to do ultrasound. I need to do a minimum database. I don't know where to go. I've just done my physical exam, like help. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, my first question is going to be what's the signalment and what did you find on your physical exam? Because those are our really critical pieces of information and you can get so much from that. I mean, just think, like, I'm just going to throw three signalments out here. So they're all vomiting. 10-week-old Doberman puppy, 2-year-old intact Labrador retriever, 10-year-old intact pit bull. You just got a different differential list based on those three (laughs) signalments alone and you have not even touched the patient. So that's going to be my first question is, okay, like where's your differential list just based on your signalment and PE?
2: That's a perfect place to start. So I guess for our case, let's do the Labrador. We'll choose that one. So, so far we have our young Labrador who's otherwise pretty boisterous. He's bouncing around in the exam room and the owners can't really tell me much about this dog. Um, Apparently it's actually their mother-in-law's dog. So they're just there for the weekend and she told them, hey, can you bring it in? Because I broke my leg. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to ask you, okay, like, what do you think is going on? What did you find on your physical? It sounds like it was a pretty, quote, boring physical that it is, it's bouncing around, it's active, it's happy. You know, for me and a vomiting patient, those are all good things, like check, check, check. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm going to say, okay, you know, so we know we have $80 left to work with. And one of the things that I say by knowing the budget, one of the most important things is, okay, how much, like I need to save some money for treatment. So, you know, whatever diagnostic tests I run, if I run any, I need to make sure that I'm not using that client's whole budget. And hey, great, I've got a diagnosis, but now I have nothing left to treat with. You know, that's how we get upset clients. And that's how we get the we didn't do anything because we didn't treat the Mm pet. You know, so I'm going to ask you, you know, how important do you feel diagnostics are? Or do you think that symptomatic treatment is potentially an option for this dog with careful monitoring for if it doesn't improve?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, in this case, if it's an otherwise bouncy dog, If we think about, okay, what are the potential treatments that we could take, depending on our our big severities, like did we eat a foreign body? What is our treatment (laughs) for that? Did we eat some mulch that's wreaking havoc through our gut? (laughs) Um, What's the treatment for that? Like, I guess those would be the two main things I think about with a, a Labrador retriever in that position. So in those cases, you're probably like your most basic supportive treatment is probably some sub fluids and serenia, if not a mm-hmm. diet um, modification. So in most cases that might eat up the rest of your $80, depending on where you're working. Yeah. So I think that'd be the next thing to kind of, that I would relay back to you and be like, okay, those are the most likely treatments that we could pursue. But then that conversation still needs to happen with the client of, all right, if we can only do symptomatic treatment for this patient, What does the rest of the conversation need to sound like? We can't just be like, well, I guess we can't do the other things. Here's some supportive care. Bye. Mm -hmm. Like, we can't just do that. That's not where our job ends. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, it's really important that we
0: have that conversation with the client of saying, okay... There are a lot of things that can cause vomiting. You know, often I'll tell my clients like, "Look, like it's literally pages long of all the things that could cause your dog to vomit." And sometimes we do a ton of diagnostics and we get a definitive diagnosis. Sometimes we do a ton of diagnostics and we still don't know. We're like, "It's gastroenteritis." Yeah, there's like 10 different causes for gastroenteritis. And so, you know, I think that, that that's important for me to tell clients is like even if we embark on this big diagnostic journey, we still may not know. I give the clients the option and I ultimately let them decide and it's the way we present the options. We want to make sure we're doing it non-judgmentally and empathetically and say, you know, in this situation, We know that funds are limited and here are the options, but I think that symptomatic treatment is very reasonable for your pet. However, if he did eat something that he shouldn't have and there's an obstruction brewing, this is something that we, you know, the longer we wait to find this, the worse it could be, the sicker your pet could get. So here are the things I want you to watch for. You know, For me, I'm like, if they vomit through Serenia, then I want them back in my office immediately. And a lot of times I might only give a single injection and not send any home because I want to know what's going to happen if I don't know there's not a foreign body. And so that's the conversation I'm having with my mentee is, okay, what are the things you want the client to watch for? What are the risks you want to warn them about? What are the pros and cons of these different options? And then go tell that to the client.
2: No, for sure. I think... You pretty much like hit on all the important points there, honestly. It's like I do this or something. It's kind of like it's your job. <laughs> no, it's like regardless if it's it's a vomiting dog or like I had a dog the other day that literally came in for limping, for a uh, acute limping. And in its history, this was what was so important. It's not on any flea or tick preventatives. It's in a highly, an area, we live in an area where Lyme disease is rampant. You walk outside in the most suburban area and you're going to get Lyme disease and they've been finding ticks on it and it did not have the Lyme vaccine. So I already have like this differential list running in my head, essentially like going back to the clients and saying like, this is everything that we could do right here, right now to like rule these things out. X-rays could be done, but they're probably not the best to see your funds. And so like trying to figure out the language that you use when you're talking with these clients is very important because then it says, this is everything we could do, but A, thank you for telling me what our limitations are. I can help you better now rather than here's everything that we're going to do and then be like, I can't afford that. Like, no, <laughs> that's not the way to go about it. So figuring out what the limitations are, kind of explaining like this is everything that I would do. Given the case, regardless of who is presented to me, this is what we can do based on the funds. And then based on our physical exam and our history and our conversation, this is the estimate that I have in front of us. And then I like to say, is that something we can do for Fluffy today? Like kind of bringing the focus back Mm -hmm. to the pet. That is the thing that we're both in this room about is focusing on Fluffy and usually in a lot of cases i find that clients are very open to saying yes we can do that and i'm like great awesome and i run off and do my diagnostics yeah. so what kind of other like language would you use when you're trying to talk about the spectrum of care that you can provide to this vomiting dog
0: yeah so i think it's really important that you know i think that it's that non-judgmental is really important and especially you know, for our mentees who are, you know, are just starting to do this, I think it's really important that, you know, we we focus on the pet, we focus on the client and their limitations. Sometimes I'll ask the client, you know, flat out, what's your budget today? Or, you know, for a chronic case or a second opinion, I might say, What are your goals for today's visit?
2: Love that wording. Yes, I've used that a few times too.
0: Yep. And so it can really open conversations and it's just really important that we build that connection and relationship with our clients. And kind of determine, okay, what are their priorities and how can we best meet them? And I think it's really important, like all the examples we've used are financial limitations, which I think is the number one thing we think about when we think about spectrum of care and and a lot of times where that conversation starts. But sometimes it's a limitation of, like, where I live, the closest referral is over an hour away. So sometimes I have clients who just simply can't drive that far. Or maybe they can go one time, but they're not gonna go for repeated internal medicine workups. And so while it would be gold standard to have this case managed by an internist, that's just not feasible for them. You know, there's so many different barriers that we can get into, which is, you know, we would be talking for hours about it. But I I think that's really important too is is to to think beyond the financial barriers that a client may have.
2: Yeah. And I think like a quick list off the top of my head is like compliance. Like are you able to medicate this animal with the medication I send home? Who's taking care of the pet? Because I know some places it's like, they bounce between my house and my sister's house and I don't know who's medicating it. So those are like compliance. Who's medicating? Can they follow up? Can you follow up? Yeah. Can you come for
0: the, the recheck appointment yes. that we're recommending? Or do we, you know, hey, you know, okay. So, you know, that in this case, the family from out of town brought the dog. Okay if we don't do diagnostics today, if this dog is not improving, who can bring this dog back for its recheck? Let's talk about that now. So we know, you know, maybe, Hey, maybe it is important that we find the funds to do an x-ray today to roll out that foreign body.
2: No, I think that's a really important thing, um, bringing it back to that. So we've talked about funds. We've talked about who's going to care. We've talked about where this pet's going to go for referral if it does need a foreign body surgery. Mm -hmm. And again, those are all big things that I know as a new grad, you don't always think about right off the bat. You're usually like focusing on, I need to do these diagnostics. I need to figure out what the answer is, which that's not exactly all that we're there for. Is not just to find out what's wrong, but it's also to have a more well-rounded view about how do we care for this pet and for this client? Because again, pets don't come in with a credit card in their mouth. (laughs) There's a person attached to that leash. So I think those are all very, very important things. And like you said, we could go on forever talking about the financial limitations, about the compliance issues, about all the different points of spectrum of care. But for our mentees who are listening, like when you go into practice, whether it is emergency, whether it is specialty, whether it is general practice – you will face questions about spectrum of care. And just because you're not able to provide a gold standard vet school ivory tower level doesn't mean you can't take care of these pets and that you can't do a good job, honestly, as a veterinarian. It really will be coming down to making sure that you are able to work within the client's financial limitations, helping them understand why you want to do this goal level of care and what it means to do that. And from there, you'll build that relationship. From there, you'll be able to actually – Potentially find out an answer, maybe not, but it'll maybe give the clients some peace of mind at the end. So, again, I keep rambling about it because I just (laughs) want to keep talking about it. And I think a a really good
0: exercise that you can do as a new grad, uh, you know, even as a vet student, is you know, okay, yes, here is the six tests I'd like to run. Level them. Say, okay, like if I could only pick one test, what test is going to be the most valuable to this case, and is it going to change how I treat the pet? because if the answer is no then if you're working on a limitation that test goes away if it's not going to change what i do if we're just doing it because we can or you know because we want the knowledge yes there are some cases and there are some clients that want that and then yes we do that you know and yes there are some cases where i don't know if it's going to change my results but you know cuz i don't know what's going on so we're going to you know take it step by step but those for me are the two questions to keep in mind is like what is my most critical test you know, in this Labrador that we're worried, maybe there's a foreign body. Okay, I'm going to prioritize x-rays over blood work in this case, if I can only pick one test, you know, and will that change how I treat the pet? It might, if there's a foreign body, that's going to change our recommendation significantly. And then blood work might become more important about, you know, Checking the status of that pet overall. Um, and so, you know, those are things that you can do even on a case where there isn't limitations, think that through, okay, in this situation, what is the most important thing that we can do? And, you know, why are we recommending these tests and just get in that mindset from the beginning?
2: No, I think that you made a really big point that regardless of whether or not you're working in some kind of a constraint, getting yourself into that thought process of, okay, how am I going to approach my cases? Like what is step one, two, three, four? I don't have to run every single test all at once. We can prioritize and we can do one than the other based on what we're finding on our diagnostics. So like I said, we could keep on chatting. We're going to (laughs) force ourselves to cut it there. We're probably going to have to come back and have another episode on this. But Kate, thank you so much for coming on the show again and sharing your wealth of knowledge about Spectrum of Care. It's been awesome. All right, till next time, y'all. See ya.
1: So that's it for another show. Thank you so much to Dr. Mariah and her guests for today's tips. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do to support early stage vets in their careers, then check out my book, Sorry about Now What, or non-clinical skills training class of the same name. Until next time, take care.